Hey, good evening. Good to see you guys. Happy um, post-homecoming. Happy current midterm. Are we midterms yet? Is this we here? Yeah. I'm proud of you guys for being here. Um, so we're in the middle of a series um, that we're calling Stories of Ordinary People Who Followed Jesus. And um, so that's what we're doing is we're looking at people who decided to follow Jesus in the Bible. And I love this series because um, sometimes I think we get the impression that anybody who's named in the Bible has got it together, right? Anybody that Jesus picks to follow him is like, you know, they know what they're doing. And what we're finding is that the people who decided to follow Jesus, who Jesus encountered in the Bible, were a lot like us. They had questions. Um, They thought they knew, but they didn't know. Um, They were outcasts. They were people that didn't quite fit in with the religious people. Um, And so we're getting to learn all about those people. But the other thing that I love about this is we get to see Jesus in all of these circumstances and all of these interactions. And, um, And I just love it. I love to see Jesus' compassion and to see his wit and to see um, his grace and uh, just lots and lots of good stuff. And so tonight we're going to continue in that series and we're going to look at an interaction between Jesus and a man um, who had been born blind. So we're going to be in the book of John. And um, if you have a Bible, crack that open. It'll be on the screen. And we also have a stack of Bibles in the back. And you can grab one of those. And it's not weird at all if you want to get up and get one now. But John chapter 9, we're going to begin with verse 1. Okay? As he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. So this is Jesus. As Jesus was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it's day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Notice, it says here that we're told Jesus saw the blind man. And I think that's important. Because in this culture, people, um, someone who was blind would have no ability to work, really. Um, There was no, like, Medicare, Medicaid kind of system, no federal assistance program for them. And there was no option, really, for someone with a disability, someone who was blind, other than sitting outside and begging and depending on other people to help provide for them. And we can imagine that as the disciples were walking past this man, um, Jesus noticed him. And the disciples started asking questions, and they asked Jesus, who was the one who sinned for this to have happened to him? Because a common belief then, and sometimes even now in certain circles, was that um, disabilities or cancer or tragedies, things like that, were all punishment from God for something that someone had done. So since he was blind since birth, that meant that either he was a sinful newborn baby or his parents had sinned, causing him to be born blind. And I picture that they're probably standing right in front of this guy, or at at least they're in earshot of him. And can you imagine what it must have felt like to be him sitting there? This was probably a common occurrence, that people would either ignore him and walk right on by, or talk about him 
as if he wasn't even there. A lot of times people, um, when someone is blind, people act like they're deaf as well. I don't know why that is that we do that, but I think that's kind of a, a common occurrence. And I'm sure that it happened all the time to him, talking right in front of him about him. And not a whole lot has changed since then. And now, people with disabilities in our culture are often invisible to the rest of us and the rest of society. But Jesus answers the question, saying, neither he nor his parents sinned, but that his healing was going to be used to point to God's power. Okay, let's keep reading in verse 6. After he said these things, he spit on the ground, and he made some mud with the saliva, and he spread the mud on his eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he left, washed, and came back seeing. His neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, isn't this the one who used to sit begging? Some said, he's the one. Others were saying, no, but it looks like him. He kept saying, I'm the one. So they asked him, how were your eyes opened? And he answered them, the man they called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and told me, go to Siloam and wash. So when I went and washed, I received my sight. Where is he, they asked. I don't know, he said. They brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. The, the day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes was a Sabbath. Okay, this part is important that it was a Sabbath. The day that he performed this miracle was the Sabbath, or um, sometimes called Shabbat, and God had instituted one day of the week that all Jews were supposed to stop working. It's one of the, one of the Ten Commandments, right? Honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. It's the fourth commandment. And so the day was to rest and remember that all, all that God had done for his people. It was a reminder of the covenant between God and Israel, this promise that he was going to be their God, they were going to be his people. This day of rest was a gift that God gave his children. So the Pharisees, we've talked about them before, they were kind of the rule makers of this day. Um, they wanted to ensure that God's people really did take that commandment seriously and didn't mistakenly break the fourth commandment. And so in order to keep the Jews from breaking the command, they built in some, like, safeties around the command to rest. Um, depending on who you followed, there were different ways of interpreting the word work. But the Mishnah was something that was written to give the correct ways to carry out the laws that God gave the Jews in the Old Testament. And there were 39 prohibitions that were created, okay? I've got a slide here. So these were the things that you could not do on the Sabbath or on Shabbat. Building, burning, carrying, chain stitching, that's not chain smoking, chain stitching, but probably not smoking either, um, combing, cooking, demolishing, dyeing, erasing, extinguishing, finishing, grinding, harvesting, kneading, knotting, marking, planting, plowing, reaping, selecting, sowing, shaping, shearing, sifting, skinning, slaughtering, smoothing, spinning, tanning, tearing, threshing, trapping, unraveling, untying, warping, weaving, washing, and winnowing could not be done one day a week. And so here's practically what that would mean. Um, adding fresh water to a vase of cut flowers would have been sewing. 
That would have been considered something that causes growth in a plant, so you couldn't do it. Separating good fruit from spoiled fruit in the fruit bowl could not be done because that was considered sorting or sifting. Brushing dried mud from your, your boots or your clothing was considered grinding. Cutting your hair or nails um, was like shearing sheep. It was compared to that, so you couldn't do that on the Sabbath. Um, applying makeup was seen as dyeing. Braiding hair was seen as weaving. Um, rubbing your hands together with soap in order to get a lather was also off limits. Sharpening a pencil, painting, drawing, typing, opening an umbrella was seen as the same as creating a shelter, like building a house. <laughs> so you couldn't open an umbrella on the Sabbath. Turning off a light ex was extinguishing a fire. You couldn't do it. Wearing reading glasses was not allowed on the Sabbath because it was seen as carrying something. You couldn't carry keys, you couldn't carry coins anywhere on the Sabbath. So Jesus was Jewish. He obviously knew the rules to Sabbath keeping, and he knew that he had options. Like He was God. He could have done this any way that he wanted. Um, he could have healed this man just with the sound of his voice. He could have just spoken it, right? You are healed. He could have just thought it, you're healed. Um, he could have done it any way that he wanted to. He didn't have to lift a finger, but he used mud, and he did it that way. So Jesus very intentionally spits in some dirt, and he kneads the mud together. And this would have constituted work on the Sabbath. He was challenging the old laws. What he wanted them to understand was that he could meet their needs more than a bunch of rules could meet their needs. He was there to fulfill the law. In another one of um, the biographies about Jesus in the book of Mark, Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. This was supposed to be a gift. I wonder, too, if he used this mud to develop this man's faith. If he did this, if he healed him in this manner, um, to help grow this man's faith because it required that he would have to trust Jesus to some extent. Like he had a part in this whole thing. Jesus rubbed the mud on his eyes, but then Jesus said, you need to go to the pool of Siloam and you need to wash. I wonder about the internal dialogue that this guy would have had as he was walking to the pool. Like do you, do you think maybe he started off and then he kind of stopped and thought, this is crazy. I'm not going to do this. Is you know, what was he telling himself as he walked? It gave him time to get his hopes up. It gave him time to talk himself out of doing it all together. To wonder who was this guy really, and why was he paying attention to him? I think a little time and space to think is good for all of us. It's why so much of Jesus' life is spent in solitude. It's spent in silence, resting, praying, thinking. I noticed something recently um, in one of my kids, and I, I just tell the story. It's not because it's her. It's because I saw myself in her. We were driving in the car, and she had done something that she wasn't supposed to. It wasn't, like, evil or harmful or terrible, but it was something that she had done that we had told her not to do. And uh, she had just rationalized that it was okay. And so I called her on it, and I told her that I was disappointed and why it was a kind of a big thing that she should have obeyed. Um, 
And she listened, and then she apologized. <clears throat> and then when we were done with the conversation, as we're driving in the car, she immediately picked up her phone and went to Snapchat or something else. And I thought, I totally get that. When something is hard or painful or uncomfortable, I want to escape as quickly as I can. Like when something, when I have to have a hard conversation or I have to do a hard thing, I turn to my phone for like happy endorphins. Let me see if anybody liked my picture. Let me see if there's something cute on, you know, on the internet. I turn to a cookie or maybe I just want to veg out to Netflix. Don't we do that when things, hard things come up? Rather than taking a little bit of time to think about what just happened? What conversation did I have that was so hard? Why was this so uncomfortable for me? What do I need to learn? We just want to escape. The problem is that dead space, the time without distraction, is some of the most important time if we want to grow. If we want to grow spiritually, that dead space is what we need to be able to think, to be able to reflect, and to be able to identify what God is doing in our lives. I think Jesus was good at making space for people to think about their lives. Sometimes it would mean like sitting in their sin for a little bit for them to just think about it. Sometimes it meant taking time with his hard, challenging words to somebody. Or like the blind man, sitting in this opportunity for healing and making it take a little bit longer than an instantaneous kind of thing. Having time to think, do I really believe this guy? Do I really believe that this could happen? What would it mean if it was really true that he's just healed me? Did he trust enough to go to the pool and to wash his eyes? Let's keep reading in verse 15. Then the Pharisees asked him again how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, he told them. I washed and I can see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a sinful man perform such signs? And there was a division among them, among the Pharisees. Again, they asked the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He's a prophet, the man said. Now notice, if, like, if we went back to verse 11, the, he called him, he called Jesus the man, the man, Jesus. But here in verse 17, the blind man has had a little bit more time to think about what has happened. And this time he refers to Jesus as a prophet. Even in this interaction with the Pharisees, the blind man's understanding of Jesus is evolving. He's understanding him more and more. So let's keep reading. The Jews did not believe this about him, that he was blind and received sight, until they summoned the parents of the one who had received his sight. They asked them, Is this your son, the one you say was born blind? How then does he now see? Verse 20. We know this is our son and that he is born blind. His parents answered, but we do not know, or, but we don't know how he now sees, and we don't know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jews, since the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed Jesus as the Messiah, he would be banned from the synagogue. This is why his parents said, ask him. He's of age. 
So a second time they summoned the man who had been blind and told him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Verse 27, I already told you, he said, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become one of his disciples too, do you? They ridiculed him. You're that man's disciple, but we're Moses' disciples. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we don't know where he's from. Verse 30, this is an amazing thing, the man said. You don't know where he's from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. Throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. You were born entirely in sin, they replied, and you're trying to teach us? And they threw him out. So Jesus heals this man so that he can physically see. He's never seen anything before in his life, but he can see now. But Jesus also makes it possible for this man to spiritually see the truth of who Jesus was. By verse 32, the blind man is acknowledging that Jesus must have been from God. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I can believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. So this man started his day just like every other day. Blind, dependent, hopeless, sitting outside begging for money. This was his reality, and he had no expectation of it ever changing, I would imagine. Some of you came to college with a similar expectation that this is just how it is. Maybe that hurt that your parent caused, you just thought that's not gonna go anywhere, that's never gonna change. That struggle with pornography or alcohol is gonna continue to be a struggle for the rest of my life. That depression or anxiety or disappointment with my life is just the way that it is. Just like the blind man. The first thing to know is that Jesus sees you. He sees you just like he saw the blind man who just blended into the scenery that everyone else passed by and ignored. He sees the pain and he sees the brokenness and the feeling of helplessness. He sees you. Secondly, you may have given up on things changing in your life, but Jesus wants your wholeness. He wants you to be whole, to heal you spiritually and to heal you physically. He brought the physical healing to the blind man, not only so he could see, but also he could who, so that he could see who Jesus was. The third thing is this, that the longer we walk with Jesus, the better we will understand who he is. 
the blind man became more confident in the one who had healed him the more time that went on, the more interaction he had with Jesus. If you want to know more about Jesus, keep walking with him. If you want to know more about Jesus, keep walking with him. And then fourth, we learn to recognize that he is at work all around you. Whether or not you expect it, whether or not you can see it right here in the moment, today, he is at work all around you. Jesus makes a habit of breaking into our reality to reveal himself to us. I think it's one of his favorite things to do. And if we put down our phones long enough and spend some time reflecting and looking for him in our lives, we're going to see that what Jesus says in verse 3, that he's working all around us so that God's work will be displayed in our lives, that our lives will look differently, that when people see us, they will see that God has done something in us. And he doesn't mean for it to be complicated. I love the story of the blind man because he's just like, listen, I don't know the theology. I don't understand all these games that you religious people play. All I know is I was blind and now I can see. And that's pretty amazing. I think it can be that simple in our lives as, as well. Maybe you felt alone for a long time and this year God has given you a community of people and all of a sudden you feel like you have a family. It's that I, I was alone and now I've got people. Maybe you were really sad and you've recently felt more joy or more purpose. It's the same kind of thing. My husband talks about um, after his parents got divorced when he was in like junior high, that he never thought that he would have a family, a real family again. And then he met an amazing woman. But, but God really did give him a family that he could have never anticipated, um, that he would have children that he loved, you know, that he would have children who love him. It's a beautiful thing that God can do. Not all of us are very good at being reflective, are we? To see God at work. It's said that Generation Z is the group of people between the ages of 10 and 24 is the most distracted generation yet. And that's not to bash you because I feel like that's not my generation, but I'm still there because I'm dealing with some of the same technology that you guys are dealing with um, in the same culture that you're, that you're in. The back of your announcement sheet has a, a little um, reflection activity for you to spend some time on this week. Um, most of you are going to forget about this in 15 seconds. You're going to throw this piece of paper away. You're going to leave it on the seat. You're going to walk away. Okay. But there are some of you that are going to take this. And um, it's not magical, but it's just something for you to maybe grab a coffee and a journal and a sunny spot someplace on campus and just think about the places that God has broken into your life and the difference that that's made. And so it's got some places for maybe some highs, and you can think about some really great things that God has done in your life. And also it's got some places for some lows, some really hard things. And I'd just love for you to spend some time maybe first asking God, can you show me where you were in this moment? Can you remind me of what you were doing here and, and show me how I could see you in this moment? But to think about um, all the places that God has made a difference in your life and then spend some time worshiping him like the blind man did. 
Um, we're going to pray, and I'm just going to ask God to, to reveal that to you this week. And so maybe right now you're like, this is weird. I, I don't know. I don't know that I can do this, but I'm going to pray it for you, okay? So if you'd bow your heads. God, I thank you that you are a God who wants to be a part of our lives, that you don't just leave us here alone to flounder, but that you bust into our reality um, to change, to heal us. Would you help us to see that this week? Lord, would you give us eyes to see the people around us, to see the ways that you're changing us, the ways that you have changed us, the things that you have done for us, the ways that you've grown us, even if it's just the, the fact that we're here and before we never thought about spiritual things, we would never have wanted to come to a Bible study. But now we're here. God, that is you working in our lives. I thank you for that. And I pray that you would just make us hypersensitive and hyper aware of your presence this week. Lord, we want your healing. We don't want to stay the way we are. So help us to see you, to obey you, and to cooperate with the work that you're doing in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. 